welcome to the Vital Health Podcast. I'm Jodie Duval and I'm a functional naturopath in Perth, WA. This is a place where you can expand your knowledge on how to optimise your health and realise your full potential. We'll have cutting edge information with expert guests and having lots of fun along the way. Get ready to be empowered and motivated to reach your higher vitality and find your ultimate potential. Let's go. Today I get to talk to the amazing Dr. Eugene Lipov and Dr. Robert Wright. Now, Dr. Eugene is the founder of Stellar Center and this podcast was really inspirational for me in a way that these sorts of treatments that Dr. Eugene is bringing to the world is an incredible life-changing aspect to people suffering with PTSD or as we try and do and they redefine PTSI. So the, the outstanding effects that this can have on people's lives, resetting the brain, changing lives, and the ability for it to reset the brain to its pre-trauma state is just incredible. So I'll, I'll leave it up to you guys to listen to it. We, we, we talk about a lot of different aspects of PTSD, PTSI, and what the treatment looks like, the outcomes of over 80% success rate, what comes after the treatment, the trauma in the nervous system. We talk about the hyperactivity of the sympathetic nervous system and all the adjunct therapies and other recommendations that can work in conjunction with this treatment and the potential uh, for wide reaching aspects of it outside of just PTSI. So we also get talking about what's next coming into Australia and Dr. Robert Wright uh, talks to us about that. And we hope to have these guys back on very soon. So hope you enjoy. All right, welcome, Dr. Eugene and Dr. Rob. Thank you so much for coming on. And we're here to talk about the Stellar Center and PTSD specifically, and how you are changing the world one, one client at a time, which I am really taken aback by when I first read about the Stellar Center. Um, so I don't need to, to make any more introductions, but I wanted to just dive straight in. And Dr. Eugene, please tell, tell us how, how you came up with this amazing form of treatment. Um, and I know it is a, a 100 year old treatment. Am I correct? It's been around it's 100 for- not, not for PTSD. Okay, okay. So if I may, let's just give it kind of the history of where we're at. And how it all came about, I think I understand your question. Mm. So, first of all, thank you very much for your interest. Uh, thanks very much for kind words. So, I'm an, I am an anesthesiologist, so I really am not a psychiatrist or psychiatric professional per se. Mm. So, through an interesting set of circumstances, I became interested in PTSD, and I think I'll explain it to you how it all came about. If you don't mind, let me explain how it started how it all came about now we'll get the history of Stella Ganglion Blockade and how it all evolved. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing pain medicines since 1987. So I've been doing Stella Ganglion Blocks, which is injection in the neck of local anesthetic, approximately here, primarily used in United States for CRPS or complex regional pain syndrome, Mm -hmm. which is a burning of extremity. It's been done like that since 1925. So original use of it, was a long time ago. And it's evolved over time as far as guidance, but ultimately the medications need to numb up fight and flight ganglia called stellar ganglia, which is in the base of the neck. So I have been using it, as I said, clinically since 1987, personally. And then I had a patient in 2002 that had severe hot flushes. And I sent her to my brother, who's an internist, and I said, hey, I'm, I don't take care of half flushes. That's your job, not my job. Mm. So he tried to take care of her, and he couldn't, he couldn't stop the half flushes. It was very severe. So he said, well, you know, you do this injection for CRPS or burning on the arm. Why don't we do the same injection for the whole body burning? I'm like, since I know everything, of course, about my field, I said, that's not going to work. He said, eh, try it. So I talked to the patient. She said, I'll try it if you think it may work. So we did it, and it worked. I was really surprised. So then we treated 10 more people, and it worked very well. Uh, again, I was very surprised by that, and I published that in a very uh, impressive medical journal called Lancet Oncology, which is second largest journal in the globe, medical journal. Mm-hmm. And then Chicago Tribune came by 
to do an interview and write up about this innovation, and they were very brutal. So usually I've had good press, but this was not good press. So I knew I was in trouble when the first line was, Dr. Bianca Kennedy's beautiful breast cancer survivor was so desperate to get rid of her half flesh, she let Dr. Lipov plunge a needle into her neck. Mm. And it went downhill from there. So then the chairman of uh, gynecology in Northwestern basically said, well, he's a responsible physician. He doesn't know anything and he shouldn't be doing it. Yes, it's working, but he has no idea why it works, so it's garbage. So I, I, I was kind of taken aback by that. So mm -hmm. if you use the same logic, then penicillin, when it was first used by Fleming, it was done on one person. They had no idea how it worked. They didn't understand much about microbiology, but they had saved four to five million people during World War II. So they gave me a lot of encouragement trying to understand why it worked. Yeah. So I read about 3,000 articles about anything and everything about Stella Ganglion block, anything exotic, anything crazy, anything outside the box. So I came across a paper from Finland when they were taking care of hand, hand sweats. Mm -hmm. And they found out the way they did it, they would uh, put a trocar in the chest, put the lung out of the way and clip T2 ganglia, sympathetic ganglia in the chest, mm. and it would stop hand sweats, but it would stop PTSD as well. So I read that, I was like, I have no idea what that would happen. Mm. And then, so I looked at anatomy, it turns out sympathetic ganglia from the chest becomes stellar ganglion block and goes up to the brain. So then I thought, well, if I do an injection neck, it should have the same effect as this without having to move the lungs around. Mm. which is a little bit safer, you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. right? So I yeah. called off my brother again. And I said, hey, you know, I think we may be able to help PTSD and then send me a patient that may be appropriate candidate for that. So mm. he had just a patient. So that patient was robbed at gunpoint and he was abused. It was horrible. He was on his way to a psychiatric facility. So he stopped by my office on the way to a psychiatric facility and then we did the injection and he didn't have to be admitted. He did really well. So that led to my first publication, 2008. Mm. So following that, <clears throat> a number of people start adopting it and modifying it further. But part of the reason people have asked me often, is like, I've had a lot of setbacks, shall we say, people not acceptance and whatever the reason. Mm. And the question has been, why have you persisted so long to do this and the reason people like to understand the motivation behind behavior yeah so so my father had severe ptsd from world war ii mm. so he had um he was part of a squadron of ten thousand people and a hundred made it so their job was to attack german ships with torpedoes and they all, most of them got killed mm. so he came home he had severe ptsd so childhood with them was interesting put it mildly absolutely so my mother went through a lot and eventually she killed herself when I was an intern in surgery. So they gave me a lot of interest in trying to help mental health and she was under the care of psychiatrists. So my point is psychiatrists have certainly some amazing things, mm -hmm. but a lot of times they, especially with PTSD and the current modalities are just not as effective as you would like it to be. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I've been persistent on all of this. So we're kind of fast-forwarding where we are right now, and we have now mod kept modifying the protocol from right-sided C6. So then I had a patient, and then we had pretty good responses. We were like 70 percentile success rates, mm -hmm. which was, we were really impressed with that. Then I had a patient that had, was a sniper for the Marines. He came in because I took care of, I took care of his back pain before. So a year later, he arrives at my doorstep with his wife and said, I'm going to kill myself. I was like, whoa, mm. let's put you in a hospital. That's very frightening. Mm. And I said, let, you know, let's do the right thing. He said, if I go in the hospital, I'm going to kill myself. I was like, okay, you're putting me in a horrible position. He goes, what you got, Doc? It's about me, not you. It's like, I was like, <laughs> yeah, start, start sweating, right? It's like, whew, uh, that's a lot of pressure. Absolutely. And yeah, exactly. So, Especially so finally, my goodness. Yeah, that's scary, right? Mm. So I take him to the operating room next day. I do the procedure, and it does nothing. 
So it usually works in 10, 15 minutes. So he comes out, he said, I'm still going to kill myself, doc. It didn't do anything, but thanks for trying. So before I got into the PTSD ward, as I said, I was doing this hot flushes injection. So I was invited to, I got a license in Norway to work with them. And I learned how to do C3 ganglion block, which is, there are three sympathetic or fight or flight um, ganglion in the neck, which is stellate, middle cervical ganglion, and superior cervical ganglion. So I learned how to do it there. So I'm looking at this man, he's telling me he's about to kill himself. And I was like, you know, we have to do something to help him. Mm. So I take him to back to the operating room. This is about 40 minutes after the first shot. I do the second procedure, which is superior cervical ganglion. He comes out, he says, I feel great, doc. He gives me a high five and just, just walk away. And he did great. He survived. Wow. wow. I was like, what? How did that <laughs> I, I don't tell any of that. That's because I, that's, you know, in, in all the reading, and Dr. Wright can tell you, it's like nobody's ever done a dual ganglion in the neck for any reason. Because mm. there's never been a reason for that that I was aware of. Mm. So, then I, I, so then I start reading everything that's available. So I came across a book by James uh, Moore. Mm-hmm. It was written in 1956, out of print since 1973. So I was like, I'm reading this book, and I was like, oh, okay, that makes perfect sense. Turns out, Fight and flight fibers from the chest go up to the neck. Half of them go up to the brain via vertebral artery. The other half go up to superior cervical ganglion and go to the brain via internal carotid artery. So when we did here, we missed some of the fibers. So it's like, oh, that makes perfect sense. So now we have our protocol has progressed from simple C6 on the right side. Mm. We do C6. C3, C4 on top here, mm-hmm. and that increased success rate from 70 to about 80 to 85 percent. Wow. And then through other people's innovation, when we did, when it fails, we go to the other side, and turns out if the right side fails, the chance of it working when you do the left side, like next couple of days, that's about 50 to 80 percent. Mm-hmm. So that leads to failure rate under seven or eight percent because if you think about it it kind of makes sense because so if you don't mind let me tell you what I, the way i see ptsd yeah first of yeah, all absolutely let's have some history yeah, in that all, well. i don't like the term ptsd because especially when i, I do a lot of work now with military mm. and a lot of military people hate the term post-traumatic stress disorder yeah. it's like saying broken yeah. leg disorder exactly it's like it's got a real stigma. What do you mean it's a disorder? Mm. If you take an x-ray of the leg and you can see the fracture, you don't have to tell anybody anything. It's like, here's your x-ray, here's your broken leg. What's the problem? Let's put a cast on. There's no, no stigma, no nothing, right? Mm. Yeah. So there is a gentleman, his name is Frank Ogberg. He's a very famous psychiatrist. He came up with a term of Stockholm Syndrome. So he's been around psychiatry for a few years. Yeah. So the term that he really likes to use is PTSI, post-traumatic stress injury, meaning it's a biologically detectable real change. Yeah. So if you scan, so when somebody says PTSD is an invisible wound, my answer usually is it's an invisible wound if you have the wrong scan. If you take an x-ray, it shows nothing. Mm -hmm. But if you scan it using fMR, then it shows hyperactivation of the amygdala, right? That's been shown by Dr. Librazon in 1980, and, you know, that was a few years ago now. Mm-hmm. So the way we see the word, this is a real injury. So when somebody has a severe injury or stress, being attacked, seeing your body explode, whatever, what happens is the fight-and-flight system gets an overdrive and produces called NGF, nerve growth factor which seems to travel to sympathetic ganglia, and then it produces sprouting or extra nerve growth and of sympathetic fibers. As long as that nerve growth is there, which is maintained by this NGF, mm. it increases norepinephrine level in the brain. So if you take CSF fluid around the brain, then you can see increase of nor- norepinephrine has been measured in new studies. Mm. Mm. So when we do the block, 
what it seems to do is reduce NGF and reverse this process. Wow. So it's called pruning. So you lose those sympathetic fibers. So it goes exactly. back to baseline. Yeah. So when we numb it up, uh, so norepinephrine levels drop in about five, 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. So when you do an injection and when you do stellate, I'm sure Dr. Wright can tell you that, it's fascinating. You do an injection and people come in angry, whatever, suicidal mm -hmm. like the veteran. Mm -hmm. And then they go, oh my God, I feel good. What happened? This whole blanket of lead is off of me in five, 10 minutes. Wow. So the compliance is high, right? So if you're, on, if you're jumping on the table, you're getting a needle in your neck, you don't have to take medications all the time. Yeah. And it kind of makes you sick, kind of takes a long time to work. And then, so that's a temporary effect. But the long-term effect seems to be this losing of the extra sympathetic fibers that are on the long there. So that effect of a single procedure can last for years. Mm. So let me just give you a real world That's example. Incredible. Yeah. Thank you. So we had this guy. So he, I was taking, I knew his father because he was my patient. Mm. So his, his father, uh, his son, I'm sorry, was an employer. So he was taking care of a special operators guy. He was in Iraq and he was patrolling in Baghdad. And a 10 year old kid laden with explosive was sent to take out the squad. He shoots a child, pieces of the child hit him horrible, right? He comes home, severe PTSD. He tries to kill his wife three times. Mm -hmm. So she said, either leave or get fixed, but you know, this is not going to work for me or for you. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> wow. So he talks to his employer and then the employer connects me through his father, whatever. So we did the injection. His name is mm -hmm. Jason Brown and mm -hmm. there's a bunch of videos about him. So this is 13 years ago. We did two stellar gangbing blocks, 13 years or 14 years ago now. They still married. He's still doing well. His PTSD is under control. Wow. Wow. So, wow and wow. that looks like a real world example. Mm. And I guess you feel what it can look like. Is this a cure? No, nothing is. There's no cure. It depends on kind of symptoms happen, what kind of trauma they go through. It depends on the biology. Yeah. But if you can get the symptoms under control for a prolonged period of time, it changes everything. Absolutely. People can come off the drugs, or most of them, they retain their spouses. Mm, absolutely. Kind of lovely. Wow. I, I see it as a, um, you know, in summarizing all of that, you know, when, when you're looking at external factors and, and you know, the, the, the medications that they have to be on all the time, the, the psychotherapy that doesn't always work or they're never turning up for it because they're not feeling the best, you know, this lifts them up to that point where they can then manage so much more and then be able to do all the extra things to get them to that point where they can be, you know, essentially fully cured from, from this or, or know how to get there. It's, it's incredible. Uh, you know. So one of, my, one of my questions is, not knowing anything about this, is what sort of things, days or you know, weeks or months after they, do they expect? Is there anything that they look at for side effects as such that you have seen? Is there anything that oh. there is that they have to be aware of or they have to avoid or you know, anything like that? So it's a fair, fair question. There are, mm. Well, there are a couple of, couple of things to think about. Mm. So one that is procedure-related side effects. Right. So there was a study done in 1993 in Germany by Dr. Wolfe, and they looked at 45,000 stellar ganglion blocks done in country of Germany. So pretty good sample. Mm -hmm. And then keep in mind, this is before X-ray or ultrasound guidance. So the guidance makes it safer. Yeah. So they had, I believe, 12 seizures and nine pneumothorax. It happens right there and then in the operating room. Yeah. So the point, the good thing there is physician can deal with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, there could be bleeding, infection. All Those are very rare, but it's possible. Those are significantly reduced by using ultrasound because you can actually see where the blood vessels are. Yeah. And x-ray also helps you see what everything is, right? So the yeah. guidance makes it safer. Yeah. So the basic precautions are, and basic things to look for is 99.99% of problems happen in operating room. Mm -hmm. So the physicians can help. And of course we observe people right afterwards. Mm. Uh, and also we need to see what kind of response people have. If people don't have a good response and we bring them back in the next few days and do the other side. Mm. Yeah. So what we found actually people who had childhood abuse 
seems to do well with the right side, but more of them than people who didn't seem to need the left side as well. We were still studying that in detail. Yeah, very interesting. Fascinating. Wow. So in terms of anything else that there, so you've, you've got the seizures, some of the infections, and sometimes the pneumothorax, which happens in the operating theatre, anything that you've seen afterwards, any other side effects or anything that leads into any other health, con not, not health conditions, but anything else that you've seen is an implication for the treatment? I didn't say what's implication, I'm sorry. So anything that um, is implicated, yeah, implicated afterwards or anything that you've seen that leads into you know, any other health concerns whatsoever from the procedure? Have you seen anything oh, else? Yeah. Fair question. Yeah. So you're talking about like diabetes, heart problems, those kind of anything, things? Anything, yeah, digestive complaints, anything like that. No, it's interesting. So I've actually written a paper about using stellic there was a paper written in China using mm. steliganglia block for ulcerative colitis. It seems mm. to improve immune system. Uh, it seems to do a lot of positive things. Uh, it may help diabetes, maybe yes, maybe no. It seems to just calm down. If you think about what we're trying to do here, we're trying to reduce the fight or flight system being overactive. Exactly, yeah. Which is really important. The other part that's kind of what's surprising for me until I wrote a chapter about it, Turns out up to 85% of men have sexual dysfunction. Mm -hmm. But people kind of laugh about it, but I, you know, I tell them to think about it. If you're running from the tiger, you don't want anything sticking out, right? You want to be running. You're not thinking no. about the reproduction here. No, we're not making babies, no. <laughs> right. But then the other part does, I mean, it's kind of funny, but equally it's not because if you think about a divorce rate of men who have PTSD, mm -hmm. you're looking at high divorce rate. You're looking at 80%, right? Hi. Part yeah. of it is sexual satisfaction. Yeah. So if that's affected, that's not good. Mm -hmm. So potentially, I wrote a chapter actually on it. Turns out there is a U-curve for norepinephrine in the brain. Too little, there is no sexual interest. Right amount, perfect, works very well. Too much, no interest, mm -hmm. which makes sense physiologically right you're not making babies when you're riding from the tiger absolutely not and so many other aspects with the nervous system and all, all of that everything that lays into that rest digest the hyperactivity of the nervous system can implicate so many things that we've got in our life and that's a chronic issue at the moment you know what we've got going on i treat clients every every day with with overactive nervous systems or chronic overactive right. overaction so that's or like love it yeah ptsd somebody has PTSD, their chance of developing heart conditions twice as high compared to somebody who doesn't have it. Absolutely. All of that is connected. Mm. So mm. most of the time, this is such a selective procedure. That's the adventure of it. You're not taking medication that goes to the whole body. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about sympathetic system. A particular part of the brain is affected, but you're not touching. Obviously, you're not doing anything in the brain. Yeah. So it's away from the brain, but you can still impact it outside the, uh, the brain system. Yeah, because yeah, because of the nervous system, it's amazing. And uh, yeah, reading more about this just in preparation to to meet with you today, I, I was blown away by how um, integrative this procedure is. Not that it's integrative in itself, but it where it's far reaching, you know, far reaching for many areas of people's lives. And so, with with PTSD, is there anything else um, particularly that you've been focusing on for treatment um, other than that particular PTSI? Should I say? Thank you. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, our new thing right now is secondary PTSD or secondary PTSI. Okay. So we are starting to do more work with Fort Bragg, which is special operators, Green Berets, and people like that. Mm -hmm. So what we are trying to do is treat... So the whole... There have been a number of articles written where people say you can think of PTSD as an infective disease, meaning you can give it to somebody. People don't usually think psychiatric diseases be, be able to pass it on, right? Mm, mm. But let me give you the first example of the first person that we treated with primary and secondary PTSD. Mm. So this gentleman was in Ohio, and he was accused of killing and raping his mother-in-law. He was placed in jail for 12 years. He comes out, and he was released by DNA evidence. I found the guy who actually did it. He comes out, he gives PTSD to his wife because he's moody, sometimes aggressive, scary, whatever. Mm -hmm. 
So I treated both of them because one, if you treat one and the other one's still affected, that's a big problem. Yeah. So that's one of the things we are interested in is integration of families. And we're actually thinking about treating the kids also. I've treated some kids with that. Okay. Yeah. Because if the fight and flight system is activating everybody, you need to treat everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like a bacterial pneumonia, right? If you treat one person, but everybody still has it, that person's going to get sick again. Again. Yeah. No yep. different. Makes sense. Totally makes sense. Wow. Okay. That's incredible. I never thought about it as a secondary. That's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a big deal, I think, because we have, as I said, because of my mother's death, I'm very interested in PTSD in the family, Emily, having yeah. been in that environment. Let me assure you, it is not a fun way to have a child, but. No, absolutely not. If you don't mind me asking personally, have you had this particular procedure? Did you need I to did. have this particular? Yeah. Well, I sure did. It was yeah. funny because uh, I have a recording of that. And then, uh, so my chairman who did it, didn't do the best technique, shall we say. So after <laughs> work, I was like, are you out of your mind, really? A lot of pressure, a lot of pressure from you. <laughs> I looked well, I was asleep. So I was like, what? You put the needle there? Really? What's wrong with you? I also did my kids injection as well and that helped them quite a bit. Okay. Yes, okay. I'm a great believer in that. And what it did is it takes dread off, right? Mm. So PTSD, a lot part of PTSD is a dread. Mm. Like I treated one of the elite uh, special forces gentlemen recently. His description is fascinating. He said it's like taking a lead blanket off of you. It's always sitting on your chest. Mm -mm. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. So any, anything with anxiety, um, depression, you know, in, in outside of the scope of the PTSI, you know, when you're looking at in the secondary, right. um, is there a big scope of treatment for people who aren't, aren't really experiencing the true PTSI? You're treating outside of that scope as well? Uh, well, yes, we haven't really focused on this much, but equally, yeah. if you think yeah. about it, if somebody has PTSI, mm. how many of those people do not have depression? Mm. Not many, right? Mm. So a lot of people do have depression. So yeah. the question is, is primary depression one of the places you can treat it with? Mm. Maybe. In fact, the first paper written about Stella Ganglion block for psychiatric condition was 1943 in Cleveland Clinic for depression. Mm. So people have used it for depression. It can be used for that. There are other treatments for that. It depends on the extent of depression. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason I like applications of PTSI is because unfortunately trauma is so um, prevailing and it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. And the question problems. is, if you, have the, if you have this underlying trauma, if you're treating depression but not treating PTSD, first of all, what's your chance of really treating depression? Second of all, is PTSD leading depression? If you have PTSD and you cannot sleep and you're overactive, that's, those are the two predictors for suicidality, mm. right? If you can't sleep and you're always on the lookout, you're going to be depressed by definition. If you take that away and you're still depressed, that's a different story. But we have definitely seen depressive score, anxiety score, generalized anxiety, reduced and sometimes eliminated. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I can see the scope. It's huge. No, I can. And, you know, if you look at, I mean, go ahead, Rob. Um, just pertaining to that question in terms mm. of who, who might benefit from this. And, you know, in, in, in our fields, in the medical mm. fields, there's this, this sort of um, <clears throat> requirement that we initially, particularly when we're offering techniques that are innovative or innovative for the reason we, we try to confine our indications to be mm. very specific to look for results and and some of that is related to things that uh, Jean's already talked about in terms of just community perception of what you're doing you know you don't want to be the the person out there that's you know pushing the boundaries and everybody's a nail like, <laughs> like oh yeah let's use it for you know let's use it for toe fungus you know and and so there's you know Jean is being very you know very uh, I think appropriate and conservative and, mm. and certainly that is the you know, that is you need the to basis upon which Stella is built. We're trying to be very evidence-driven. We're trying to use it for very specific indications where we've proven it out and then take the next step. Yeah. Having said that, 
<laughs> what I can tell you is uh, prior to my affiliation with Stella Centers in my practice, um, and I've shared this with Gene, and, and again, this is sort of a little off label, but and I, I think it does speak to your question. I would have patients come in that would not really be just off the table PTSI. You know, it, it wasn't clear, but they were wound up, they were anxious, they were depressed, their pain had maybe generalized. Um, we have a, an evolving term in pain medicine called sensitization. And that just means various things have happened in the nervous system that have uh, made the patient more, uh, more, more, more painful all over, right? Mm -hmm. um, and in those patients, again, in my position is just one doc, you know, talking to the patient, I'd say, listen, I'm going to throw something in your neck. I'm going to do a little shot in your neck while you're asleep. Typically, I would do it along with whatever procedure they had come in for. Mm -hmm. Typically, I wouldn't even charge for it, right? Mm -hmm. you know, but I would tell the patient, it may or may not help. We have no idea. And I was shocked at the number of patients where I would offer that to. Uh, again, now, this is outside of the, the nice, clean protocol, algorithmic pathway. I'm not yeah. speaking for Stella Centers here. I'm just yeah, thank you. About thank you. <laughs> Let's not get us in trouble. I know. I, I know. That's it's. It, it's. I just want to be again very clear on the record, on tape, on video. This was just me as a feral rogue practitioner. Mm, mm. I will share that testing the boundaries. Yeah. I think in some respects that may point um, directions for future organ mm, studies yeah. where we need evidence. But those patients would simply be different, mm. and they would say they would be more relaxed. In some cases, I would have done a block uh, or an injection to turn off a certain pain source, mm. and the patient would be coming back, and they would say, you know, doc, the first block was okay, but whatever you did this time was just simply amazing. Mm. I feel so much better. Mm. So what, what is that? That Again, that's just kind of me in the context of my one-on-one -on -one patient relationship yep. and me looking at doing some things that I thought would be a benefit. Um, but is there something there that maybe instructs us in terms of future studies we're going to do? Yeah. Again, now that we've got this organized Stella Centers. And so um, the other interesting thing is on many of those patients, I would not have elicited any history that would support PTSI. Mm -hmm. But that patient, after doing the block, I'd see them back in clinic, and they would be open to telling me more about maybe they had had sexual abuse, physical abuse in their childhood. Right. Um, and even had I asked that in my entry questionnaires, it would have been a no. Mm. But then we did the treatment and they were like able to speak to that. They were yeah. able to confront that. They were able to bring that to the surface in dialogue. And I, I think that there's also, that's very powerful to me when we're using the, the stellate blocks in conjunction with therapy. Mm. There's so many other treatments now we're, we're talking about, you know, some wild stuff with, you know, with mushrooms and ecstasy and all that to try mm. to facilitate psychotherapy, right? Absolutely. What is it going to take to get that person wound down enough mm. where they can access the trauma, yep. bring the trauma forth and deal with it um, mm. psychobehaviorally with the psychologist? So again, I'm, I'm rambling now, but the point is it's very exciting to think that by turning off this huge norepinephrine overdrive, we may be able to create a, a safer space, to use the jargon, for that yeah. patient to say, you know what? I was sexually abused as a child. I've yeah. never really been able to bring that to the surface. So again, yeah. I, I, a little bit so off. If I may, there. can I interrupt you, Rob? Yeah, I'm, I'm off. I'm muting myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you have to mute <laughs> That's yourself. great. That's anyway, great. So there are three things I wanted to kind of bring up here. Mm -hmm. So one, for example, we treated a young lady who is a very strong individual. Mm. And she had secondary PTSD from her husband being an elite warrior. Mm. And she wrote a book about secondary PTSD, actually, an amazing woman. Cool. Uh, and I talked to her and she said, well, I really don't have much of a PTSD problem. And she said, well, you know, my husband's having it done. Why, why don't I have it done too? I think I may have rounded out a little. So mm. I did a procedure on her. Right after she came out, she said, you know, it's interesting. I now have access to my emotions. Mm. And we had a guy who was uh, part of TED Effect, it was in Vietnam. So I did a procedure on him and he was in recovery from crying. And I said, why are you crying? He said, I have not felt any emotions for 50 years. So you as medical professional know that PTSD or PTSI, part of what happens, people start to 
try to separate themselves from emotions. Yeah, right? for protection. Because that, that's a safety thing, right? Mm. So here, it seems to reconnect the emotions. And what we find the most effective method, the stellar method, for lack of a better word, is that, first of all, what makes us different, there's plenty of people who do stellar ganglion blocks. Yeah. And as, as Dr. Wright would agree with me, I assume, pain physician like any doctors come in three varieties. Variety one, superb physicians. Variety two, good physicians. Variety three, scary as hell. <laughs> and I've trained all three of them. Let me assure you. The I, hope you can, I hope you can pick them now. <laughs> exactly. I have a list. <laughs> so the point of, as a patient, you really don't know where, what that, what, which of the three of those physicians going to be. Exactly. Are they using the latest protocol? And, and you're asleep. You have no idea. <laughs> That's scary in itself. Yeah. But, you know, people have a nice suit. They have diplomas in the wall. You don't know the difference. You don't know mm. the training. You don't know what protocol they're using. The thing about Stella, we are a number of uh, places in um, United States. Mm. We are fortunate enough to work with Dr. Wright and other associates. Uh, and the idea is to have a consistent protocol that is consistently improved by everyone, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, I've started the thing going, but, you know, every time things don't go necessarily as good, but now there's a lot of us talking to each other on a continuous basis, mm -hmm. and we have a clearinghouse of information. What is the best? Which are the ways to do it? And then, you know, which subsections are we talking about? Which cohort do you focus on next? It also depends where you're at. Like, for example, the large bushfires where you're at, that may be some subspecialty in that. Yeah. But to me, trauma is trauma is trauma. Childhood trauma, rape, military trauma, explosions, terrorist attack, all of that. The brain doesn't know the difference. All it knows is that too much norepinephrine it's sitting in and it's uncomfortable. And the symptoms are all the same. Yeah. Yeah. It makes so much sense. So I treated somebody from, it was very interesting actually story. So I treated somebody from Englewood, uh, Illinois. Englewood is part of Chicago that's extremely violent. Mm. So I treated a guy from there. And the same day I treated a veteran from Iraq. And they connected and they were having fun talking to each other. They felt really good. So they both came out on the street and the car backfired right next to them. So typically, they would both go nuts. Yeah, that. yeah. So there, they, they start laughing and they go, <laughs> we had no response. And they both start crying. They go, oh, my God, look at this. Wow. We're, we are fixed. We're not <laughs> nutball dropping out our skin. But they were hugging each other. I thought, you know, you got the veteran from Iraq and you got a guy who was shot a number of times. He saw people slain in front of him. Their sympathetic system was down shifted in a relatively simple percutaneous procedure. Mm. But think of what it could do on a global scale. Absolutely. Now, our world is not getting much safer, and yeah. there's a lot of craziness going on. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we can't control the craziness, but hopefully we can help with Stella, and we have aspiration to international uh, leadership in that space. Wouldn't it be amazing if you can cut everything down? You know, it's like, for example, I think some of the conflicts can be resolved if people have mental health. Mm, absolutely, it's huge. But you know, it's like effective psychotherapy. I think psychotherapy is a lot more effective after you can calm the body down. Yeah. Because I'm sure you've taken care of, especially women, mm. when they try and talk to them about some of the horrible stuff they went through, they shut down. They oh, can't absolutely. handle it. Yeah. Because they have a physiological response. It's not like they don't want to do it, but it's a physiological response, they're overwhelmed. Mm. Absolutely. But if you have control of that, it's like, it was horrible. It happened. Let's move on. Let mm -hmm. me have my life back. That's, that's what we were trying to do in Stella Center. Maximum protocol, best training methods, you know, all of that and consistency. Yeah. So the idea is if you have it done in Sydney, you can get it in New York, San Diego, whatever. You get the same protocol, consistent people doing things. 
Yeah, I love that. And that's, you know, one of my very true values is having the quality of physicians, the quality of doctors and caretakers and the quality of the business and the protocols. And I, I really am amazed and, and I love the fact that you're trying to create that quality everywhere. So you have that trust so people can actually trust in the fact oh, you that you want predictability. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. So I just went while I was thinking about that. Um, I just had a question that came up that so with, with this particular procedure, is that needing to be done? So what does it look like in the future? Do you need to do it in another three years? Is it a permanent thing? Is it so to get an understanding? Well, so, so my answer is we don't know. Yeah, that's a simpler answer. Um, so and let me give you some uh, possible way it may look. So there's no such thing as permanent anything. Yeah, it depends on trauma. So, for example, I took care of a young lady who was 12 years old. She was molested since 5 up until 10 by her uncle. Mm. I saw her at 12. We treated her. She was doing great. Two years. And then she came back and her mother said she was not feeling so good. So we brought her back. We did the injection. She didn't tell us why. Mm. She was not feeling good. After the injection, she said somebody tried to abduct her in a shopping mall. You know, you don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's just created again, yeah. Right. But for example, the soldier that we treated, Jason, he had two stellates 13 years ago. Mm. Is that a cure? Probably not, but he hadn't had more intervention that he needed. Mm. Yeah. So his symptoms were under control. How long will it last? We really don't know. It also depends if they if people do some psychotherapy let's say for a couple of months uh do they change the lifestyle mm, do they get off the medicaid the medications there's still a lot for us to learn yeah. but as we get a lot of physicians getting the data into all this we have a lot of interest yeah. in trying to pursue it and there's various sectors we are interested in yeah. like sex slavery unfortunately is booming yeah. which is a horrible thing right yeah. I mean, which one is worse? Sexual slavery, um, military trauma. Wars, yeah. I, 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 you know, childhood abuse. They're all horrible. They're horrible. But, you're <laughs> I mean, what I, but what I love is that you're offering a solution for people to be able to work through those and like actually a, a light at that end of the tunnel. It's it's amazing for people to have right. the option if they know. And about I, mean, it. Just, I mean, the cases just go on and on. We had another mm. lady who was a nurse. Another real, real world example, she was a nurse in the military and disgruntled employee torched her with a can of gasoline. So she had 80 surgeries so far. So she had two injections so far. It's coming back now four years later. I could barely get this through her, all the burns, oh but gosh. she did great. Mm. So my point is, it just, it doesn't really matter where it comes from. Yeah. To me, trauma is trauma. The brain is changed. Let's see if you can calm it down, get the right support, and get people better. Yeah. And I think in a global scale, if people really catch on to that, then mm. conflicts, maybe some of them can re resolve because a lot of times people are reactive. Right? For example, with the police department, people are overactive, and they see a flash out of the eye, they shoot, mm. and it's wrongful death. That creates all type of other problems. Doesn't create any good feelings for sure. No. So if people are calm and not as hyped up, I think it's going to be much better. Absolutely, absolutely. So I know Dr. Wright touched on this before, but adjunct adjunctive therapies that you've seen work really well. So we talked a little bit about psychotherapy assisted. You know, you've got the ketamine, right. MDMA. You've got psilocybin. You've got vagal toning exercises, you know, nerve meditation. You have so many options, but is there anything that you and, and particularly Stella Center have sort of honed in on to recommend to people? Yes, absolutely. I have a very specific <laughs> one. I like being specific. Good. I don't like being <laughs> non-specific. Good. So uh, Dr. Porges is a gentleman who, um, he's an amazing physician. Uh, he's a psychologist. He, he, uh, he is the man who came up with the polyvagal theory. He's actually, I'm very proud to have him as a friend of mine. So he came up with vagal stimulation concept. Mm. So vagal stimulation 
uh, makes perfect sense. Yoga breathing makes amazing sense because deep breath activates the vagus nerve. Mm -hmm. So for those people who don't know, I'm sure you know this, but the physiology is this following. So autonomic nervous system is you increase, in order to keep homeostasis or stability, you either decrease the fight and flight system, which is sympathetic, or increase the vagal tone. They're opposite, sympathetic and parasympathetic. So if you can calm yourself down with just breathing, you don't need a stellar ganglion block. But if it's so severe, then you want to have a stellar ganglion block. If you can do yoga, that's marvelous. Meditation is an amazing thing. It keeps you calm. Also, meditation is the only thing that's been shown to regrow brain tissue. Nothing else has, which is amazing. So I personally like EEG meditation, which I, there's a device available called Muse. Mm, yeah, EG controlled meditation mm -hmm. it's amazing mm -hmm. so I think that's a great thing to do mm -hmm. exercise produces endorphins makes you feel better and all of that I think that's important uh, psycho, some of the guided psychotherapy trauma informed is amazing mm -hmm. uh, like immersion therapy I'm not for that I think that's a problematic technique from my perspective I'm not a psychologist mm -hmm. but putting somebody under stress when you're trying to fix stress, I'm not like a, an immense fan of that. Right. Uh, I agree. Some of the medications that people take, there are a couple that people need to be off. I, I think atypical antipsychotics, they have a lot of side effects. Mm. Uh, some of the antidepressant stuff I think work okay. Uh, benzodiazepines seem to have significant problems. Mm. Addiction, potential brain shrinkage, things like that. Uh, ketamine, we actually, in certain cases, we combine ketamine and stellate together, which is really an interesting combination. Let me explain to you why, if you don't mind. Mm. So ketamine seems to help depression quite well. Yeah. Uh, ketamine also grows brain tissue back, has been shown. So we're using it in TBI, PTSD people, mm -hmm. or PTSI. But what's interesting is if you look at some of the ketamine literature, it grows all type of nerve tissues, including sympathetic. So if you look at it as a fertilizer, it grows everything, including the weeds, right? Mm. <laughs> so if you look at the way we explain to patients that you have the fertilizer and the weed killer together. Mm. You don't want the weeds, <laughs> which is sympathetics. Yeah. You want the good nerve tissue. Yeah, you want to grow the good stuff, yeah. Right, so sometimes for CPTSD or complex PTSD, we have really combined it. And we've had some amazing results. Wow. Uh, MDMA, I think for me, I have some issues with the whole concept of that mm -hmm. because I assume you know the history of it. The one was used clinically in the 70s. Yeah. And then it kind of escaped. The genie has escaped the bottle and it went to the lab. Society. You know. yep. Yep. Yeah, it started to get, it was a little too good. Um, Which creates problems the time. Exactly. Potentially it could be neurotoxic, but there is debate and microdosing. I really am not an expert in that. Mm -hmm. At least at this point, we're not really prepared to integrate that. Presbyn, yep. uh, um, you know, it's unfortunately there are, you know, that and an MDA can be abused in the streets. Mm -hmm. uh, lidocaine or bupivacaine, the stuff that Dr. Wright and I use, if you steal it from us, if you snort it, your, numb get, your face gets numb. There's just no, no fun. There's not much you can do with that drug. It's very difficult to abuse. You can get a numb nose or a numb mouth. That's no fun at all. That's nothing. So from that perspective, it's really safe. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I know previously, um, Dr. Wright and I had a little discussion a couple of weeks ago about hyperbaric chambers. And I know the um, ability for it to, to increase, you know, brain connections and obviously the health of the brain. What, what's your opinion on the hyperbaric treatments? Well, I've actually looked at it in detail. Mm -hmm. I gave a testimony in front of Congress in 2010. Now, mm -hmm. keep in mind, my, my knowledge is <clears throat> a few years old now. <laughs> okay. uh, in fact, what's funny is that my first job in medicine was hyperbaric chamber elderly. I used to bring people in uh, who had dementia, and I would sit with them in the hyperbaric chamber and bring wow. them food. 
Wow. So I have personal experience with hyperbaric chamber. Yeah, I didn't know they did um, it then. Wow. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's been used for many years. It's been used yeah. for wounds. Yeah. Originally, it was used for wounds yeah. because high amount of oxygen seems to kill the bacteria really well. Mm. Um, to me, I have not seen success with that. For TBI, traumatic brain injury, it kind of may help. However, if you think about it, A, it can cause seizures. It's mm -hmm. one of the side effects. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, there is a small percentage where it can cause sinus fractures because of the pressure. Uh, frankly, I really don't understand why it would work. Mm -hmm. uh, it may increase circulation to part of the brain, mm -hmm. but I was not convinced of it. Plus, the other part is keep in mind is how many times can you ask somebody to come back? Yeah. So many hyperbaric chambers are small, right? Mm -hmm. So now you have somebody who's anxious. Mm. and say okay you're anxious let's put you in a little room close the door real tight and you got to do it 30 times yeah especially with with ptsi that can be a, a oh that's like the best yeah. that's like yeah. okay that that makes perfect sense i'm going to come back many times yeah. and you don't feel the immediate relief the thing a lot of times with stellate you have relief from one or two procedures very yeah. rapidly and yeah. especially men at least I don't know about Dr. Rye, but I'm not the most patient person in the world. It's like, you know, if you're going to say it's going to take me 20 or 30 more times to come back to feel something, I'm not into that. Yeah, yeah. I'd like and to have it done right now. You know, let me just throw this out, Gene, and this is kind of a, a real time to and fro here because we have not spoken about this before. Um, I'm actually, I, I, I understand your, your, uh, your comments about hyperbaric and about, you know, the, the contraindications, you know, obviously don't go into hyperbaric if you have some kind of head or neck pathology that would uh, make you more vulnerable to a eardrum blowout, a sinus fracture, et cetera. But let's just getting away from the acute stuff. My, my thinking is, is this, and, and again, you can tell me that this is either, um, you know, legitimate uh, thinking or illegitimate, but, you know, and, when, and, and, I, and I know you will. That's our relationship. <laughs> subtle, subtle as always, right? Yeah. Okay. It's like a relationship when you can tell each other and call, call each other out on your bullshit. Yeah, like real exactly. time. It's happening here on your podcast, real time. <laughs> Love it. Crack Love down it. on his Australian CMO and go, you know, Rob, you're just a bit. <laughs> Don't say that. You yet. know what you said? Oh, my God. <laughs> Love I'll, it. I'll give you a chance to say that in a second. No, here's my point is that, you know, just very simply put, you know, we are looking at a, a lot of these chronic uh, excitotoxicity states, these hyperactivity states of the sympathetic nervous system. And we do see tissue atrophy. We see tissue dysfunction, hibernation of the good neurons. I mean, it's almost like you were, in my mind, there may be an analogy. Again, we need to study this. And now that I'm part of Stella, we can do it in a, in a really thoughtful way. But, you know, what about kind of a one-off combination of hyperbaric as um, maybe not so much the weed killer, but the part of, but the, the adjunctive treatment that actually makes Stella more able to, to turn on the good neurons, the regulatory neurons, and to rescue the central nervous system neurons. And again, there's, you know, there's very few things that get into the central nervous system that may be a wake up, start doing your job sort of stimulus. And you know, in conjunction with Stella, if someone, and, and again, I have a number of patients who already will, you know, swear by hyperbaric for various things, right? In conjunction with Stella, um, is there a role for a uh, hyperbaric treatment that may help us wake up the beneficial central regulatory pathway? That's my only, that's my 100,000 foot view. So you, you, if I may, let, let, let me opine on that for a second. Yeah. Oh, so, I do you would. I have I, I three answers to that. As I said, my knowledge on that is 11 years old. So I have not reviewed the literature. The studies may be proving me wrong. I have no problem with that. The only thing I can honestly say is I would say any piece, shred of evidence written about stellate, I have read it. I know a lot about that. I'm not saying I'm an expert on a hyperbaric chamber. Now there are some upside and downsides. So vasodilatation, increased blood flow, increase brain function. There may be some studies on that. I don't know. I know ketamine has been shown to regrow nerve tissue back. Uh, hyperbaric chamber potentially can offer some amazing things. I, I just don't know. It can also produce free radicals, which would be a bad thing. I don't know. 
And the reason what Dr. Wright is talking about is they have been a number of studies showing that the brain tissue shrinks when somebody has PTSD mm. by up to 20%. That's considered usually a glutamate impact. Mm -hmm. Glutamate is an agent that's activating agents in the brain that actually is neurotoxic. Mm. Now, will that shrinkage be reversed by hyperbaric chamber? I'd be very interested to see in information. Maybe we can talk about it later. Mm. The only thing, again, that I'm aware of that's been shown to regrow, make the brain thicker, which you always like thick brains, uh, is meditation. Yeah. Yeah. Cannabin's been increasing neurological complexity uh, and help people's TBI. We will love the combination of ketamine and stellate for TBI seem to work. Mm -hmm. However, maybe stellate, ketamine, hyperbaric chamber together would be amazing. Mm -hmm. I have no idea. I'm not, I'm not opposed to any of that. So mm -hmm. to me, though, you know, a lot of times the compliance is a problem. A lot of times, yeah. it just half the people I see are from out of town. Yeah. I don't have the luxury of going, well, today for you, <laughs> we got the Every family. day. <laughs> we got the ketamine. Uh, tomorrow is hyperbaric chamber. Yeah. Day after, I don't know, play with your toes. I don't have that. <laughs> I just don't have that kind of population. Yeah, absolutely. But as we grow further, I mean, honestly, I'm totally ready to be convinced about anything. Yeah. Absolutely. So if there is no downside absolutely. and compliant, I mean, if it ultimately has to work. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, you know, like Fleming and you know, his whole thing about penicillin. He didn't set out to figure out necessarily penicillin, but once he did, he realized it. So I was very fortunate to realize that. Mm. And frankly, I mean, I, I have a biochemistry degree from undergraduate and MD degree. Mm. I have no neuroscience degree. I mean, I'm, everything I know about it's self-taught. And it's like, so if hyperbaric chamber, absolutely it could be. But mm. again, you're talking about a number of dives, which a lot of times people just don't want to go through. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, for me, I mean, that, that really speaks, Gene, to why I, I, I begged, begged you to become part of Stella and bring Stella to Australia. I think I was begging first. I'm sorry. That's always best case, right? Mutual but, begging. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, please. No, no, no. Please, you. Um, no, no, you, you. No, no, no. You go. <laughs> but the point is that, and, and, it, and this kind of ties that together, is, is I'm, I'm a big believer, you know, First off, we're, we're evidence-driven, but let's be, let's be honest. Sometimes getting that level one, tier one evidence 10 years down the line, five yeah. years down the line, horses already out of the barn. People are disabled. They're suffering. There's lives lost. Right. You know, so yeah. if you're going to live where Gene and I live, which is on, you know, on that early adopter edge, going to be mm. early adopter edge, then we have to think maybe about our treatments in a different way. And first and foremost, for me, there has to be, clear scientific evidence of safety and potential efficacy. Yeah. Now, right. Once you have that, then you can have a dialogue with the patient. Mm. Okay. And as long as you have a structure around you that is ethically and with integrity collecting the data and that, you know, we don't need to start with the randomized placebo controlled trials and stuff. You know, those, those can come down the line and they need to come. Right. But in the first instance, some of the stuff we're talking about today, like adjunctive treatments, combination mm. with ketamine, very rational, combination mm. with hyperbaric, who knows? Mm. We think about it a little bit more, but it may be a role. But then within this stellar construct, where we're really engaging in very clean education up front, we're being ethical and operating with integrity to offer mm. treatments that have the science have been scientifically have a scientific basis for safety and efficacy. And then we're collecting that data with integrity then we'll be able to move the field forward. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's for me, one of, to be honest, one of the, as a, as a physician, one of the biggest differentiators of Stella, because as you said, Gene said, you can roll into any pain doc's office and get a Stella. But what's the protocol? What's the technique? What's mm -hmm. the basis for it? Are they offering you the best that you can get? Yeah. And in today's world, and, and you know, even looking at, at medical economics, we need to make our interventions work. You know, if, if, we need to put together a system that costs $2, but it's the right system and it gets long-term results. That's a lot cheaper than somebody doing it for $1. Mm. You know, so I, again, just the thinking it, 
and they do it for one dollar and the patient has to come back 20 times that year exactly so well if i may rob let me interrupt for a second so i took care of a patient actually yesterday Mm. who had eight stellar ganglion blocks in the military facility and did nothing get eight so he's Mm. like yeah stella is garbage (laughs) right it's like but yet he he and he thought, he thought me out through a friend. We had a mutual friend, so we did the right side and helped him some, and the left side was amazing. Wow! So the point it, it shows you though, you know this is still early. So if everybody does it all type of cocky many way, unpredictable, no synchronized protocol, no nothing, it'll be yet another failure the signal will get diluted. Yeah. You go, well, yeah, it's like this. But, you know, there's, there's different reasons why people do different things. Some people mean the right thing, or it's like, I can do it as well. It's like, we have, we have a very stringent criteria mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of people who we allow to be part of us. Yeah. And there's plenty of people who, let's say, I don't think are as capable, they're they are capable of doing stellates, but they're kind of on the edge of what's legal, what's not legal. But they look great. I was mm. watching videos, like, wow, that's impressive. But it's like, mm. yeah, but I don't think you necessarily know what you're doing. And you need to be prepared to deal with it. Like, for example, Dr. Wright and I, both anesthesiologists, some of the physicians who work with us are or were emergency room physicians. So do you have a crash card? Do you have this? some of the very basic things? the best way to avoid issues is to be prepared for issues. Mm. And if you have a problem, you know, like every other day I get a phone call. It's like, Hey, I did this. And hey, how do I fix this? Mm. No problem. But the point is we are a collective yeah. and we're trying to work it for the best uh, for the patient. So it's Absolutely. consistent. Absolutely. You know, one of the exciting things in Australia is, you know, I've been coming Australia. I've been moved here until 2019, but I've been coming to Australia since uh, 2000, so mm. 20 plus years to teach and train and become very connected with the, the medical community and the interventional pain community here. Mm. And um, Australia is unique in that most of our course population is, as we all know, is centered on the eastern seaboard mm. between you know Sydney and Brisbane and Melbourne and yeah. Adelaide and the like. And um, what we're rolling out right now in Australia mm-hmm. is we'll be on the backs of um, in my estimation, the 10 most accomplished interventional pain doctors in Australia. Wow. So it's going to be an all-star cast That's incredible. of people that yeah. are extremely, as Gene speaks to, they're extremely safe, extremely knowledgeable. Um, and maybe these are docs that have that are aware of the stellate literature, mm-hmm. but have not done it in their practice because they want to know that there's a system for the patient, that there's protocol, that the information gets fed forward into improving techniques that there's the crossover with the psychological community uh, and, and how that, and that's really where Stella, Stella is, is going to be so powerful. Every doc that I've talked to, if I just said, Hey, you should do more stellates for PTSD. They go, yeah, that's probably, you know, it's definitely, I believe in, I believe in it, but I just don't have the system for it because that's what exactly. good docs want. Yeah. They want to be able to treat patients within a safe system that follows them up and ensures optimal outcome. Well, the other part of if I may wrap. I go to those same docs and I say, here's what Stella is. They're like, sign me up. Mm. Yeah, so if I may interrupt, so part of one of the things I think made physicians effective is having the right population. You have to mm. treat the right people. Yeah. It's not done for everything. As Dr. Wright said, we're not going to treat toe wards with this. Mm. So we have a whole system where people are evaluated based on our protocols that have frankly been modifying for 16 years. Yeah. So certain people, I just do not fit our criteria. Yeah. And we don't want to treat those people using this technique no. because that makes you fall in disrepute. Absolutely. The, you know, Absolutely. the other part is there is basic medical reasons like bad heart, bleeding disorders, bad lungs, mm. you know, extreme obesity. You know, one of the things I always tell people is no neck, no shot. They come in and there's no neck, there's no place to put needles. Very technical, right? Very technical. Very sophisticated. (laughs) On that point, before we run out of time, um, gentlemen, and I I really appreciate your time, thank you, but I know that you are 
um, you know, needing to head off in a minute. So I wanted to sort of wrap up just a little bit and give me a bit more information about um, where to find Stella, where people can find in the US, when we're looking at possibly having a place or, um, you know, where to find you, Rob, and, and, and access it here in Australia at the moment, and then what's to come. But I would love to have a second podcast with you guys, you know, in, in a six or 12 months time to see exactly where we're at in terms of where you've grown to and the exciting things that you're doing at that time as well. So just a little bit of information for the audience to, to where to find you guys. So Stella.com is uh, our website. Um, my, my website, if you, people want to know more about me, it's DrEugeneLukov.com. Uh, and Rob probably be better to answer. And I believe when is the first Stella case being done in Australia, Rob? You know this better than I do. Yeah, so we believe, uh, we believe the first Stella case will be done on, I believe, 7 June. And so very exciting. Mm, and to speak okay. to your question, Stella US, we're, we're building ourselves, leveraging off all the good infrastructure from the US. And mm -hmm. so it's gonna, I think it can happen very quickly here. We've hired our, our operational director mm -hmm. um, who has been working hard for the past 30 days, but technically isn't official until the 1st of June. So <laughs> um, that's Louise Stevens. And the best way right now, this morning's tactical call with Chicago, Stella US, was all about getting the phone started here. So I, yeah. I can't tell you right now, but I believe that in short order, um, our website, if, if patients just log on to the Stella website in general, they're gonna be able to be guided to the Australian resource. And you know, we are right now putting everything together. The last, the, just the last, I know we're almost, we're at a hard stop here and I apologize. My, it, in Australia, it is clear to me that like everywhere else in the world, this is a silent epidemic. <laughs> Yeah. And there's two reasons for the silence, I believe. It's kind of like we use that term a lot in medicine, like high blood pressure was silent because it was a silent killer because nobody would take the blood pressure, right? Mm. So on and so forth. With, with, with PTSD, there's two issues. There's the stigma around it. And we need, we need to work on that as a community. Right? Yeah. It doesn't mean you're weak. It yeah. doesn't mean you just can't get over it. It's a real thing. And it has a... An extraordinarily negative impact on people's lives, professionally, yeah. personally, and so forth. So we need to get around. We need to work on that stigma. And thank you for what you're doing with this mm -hmm. education and podcast and the like. And the other piece is education. Is um, I think a lot of the general community, some of the psychology community, but certainly the GP community, just doesn't understand. They may be able to see that red hot PTSD from you know an Iraqi veteran but they don't understand secondary PTSI, which we're going to, we need to start calling it. They yeah. don't understand. In Australia, the most common cause of PTSI is motor vehicle accidents, yeah. right? So we need to get that word out. So again, thank you. And with, with that, thank you so much for what you're doing to get the word out with podcasts. There's a lot of excitement. I look forward to a, a follow-up with you. Oh, absolutely. And absolute pleasure to have you both on. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you Thank so you. much. And um, I really look forward to, to watching where Stella gets to. And in any way that I can help, I will be helping as well. So really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. See Thank you guys. You. Bye. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Revital Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Revital Health, as well as our website, revitalhealth.com.au for upcoming podcasts, workshops, and speaking events. Find out about specials happening in the clinic and all the show notes and links mentioned in the podcast. Please remember that this information discussed here is general information and is not intended to diagnose or treat individuals. Please speak to your healthcare professional before embarking on any new treatments, lifestyle changes, medicines, or supplementation to assess your suitability. Have a wonderful day and we'll see you again soon.